Hey, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or whenever this finds you. I'm your host, Chantal Senya, and thank you for joining me on another episode of To Be Confirmed, the latest, hottest podcast series, which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism, because often the answer to these questions remain, well, to be confirmed. Tune in, listen, and prepare to be inspired, provoked, and moved as we dive into another episode of To Be Confirmed. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, everyone. I am your host, Chantal Senya, and welcome to the first episode of To Be Confirmed. Now, this episode will be split into two parts just because we want you to really take everything in, you know, understand, critically think about things. Um, So yeah, for that reason, and of course, we've got Kalechi here. I want you to really take in the double blessing. So for that reason, we're going to have a two-parter. So um, with that being said, um, yeah. Kalechi Okafo, can we get some round of applause, please? (laughs) Please let the people know who you are, what you do, what you're about. I'm Kalechi Okafo and I guess I'm just a baby girl is how I tend to put it. It's just too long and arduous to go through all the things that I do, <laughs> but a baby girl suffices. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, for those who don't know about <laughs> Kalechi Okafo, um, she is an award-winning writer, activist, social commentator, podcaster, for those who know, say your mind, um, <laughs> an actress, mother, a self-declared baby girl, and also a pole dance studio founder. So there is a huge amount of credentials um, assigned to collect your car for. Now, as you see above my head, the title of this podcast is called To Be Confirmed. Now, To Be Confirmed is a provocative podcast series which seeks to answer society's biggest questions. Um, in, in regards to the relationship between race and racism with intersectionality, with identity, with gender, class, and more. Now, the title of today's episode is Black Women, Picture, Portrayal, and Playback. Now, what I mean by picture, portrayal, and playback, essentially with picture, we're going to be talking about the image assigned to black women, whether that be with projected expectations, um, the role of black women, for instance, um, you know, negative stereotypes between, you know, our relationships, our sexuality and gender. When we talk about portrayal, we'll be talking about the misunderstanding of black women. So through the representation of black women, whether that be through intergenerational trauma, um, the role of culture and the pressure that is placed on black women to validate masculinity. And finally, playback. So with playback, we're looking at the consequences of society's picture and portrayal of black women and how that plays out in day-to-day life. So of course, looking at the current black women in the adaptation post-COVID. And of course, with the social political context, um, context and consequences of colonialism and white supremacy, but most importantly in the playback, how we can reclaim our black womanhood. So in doing so, again, premise of the podcast, the big, big question that I'm asking today is, in a society that functions on the vehicle of a white supremacist heteropatriarchy and how that manifests in the quality of life, in the navigation of womanhood and relationships, will black women ever be able to gain and wholly reclaim their rights to the ownership of their legacies? So it's a big, big question, a loaded question, but don't worry, we'll break it down for you. So one thing, a couple of things I want to clarify um, in the space here is that when I talk about women, I'm going to be using Moya Bailey's definition of women. So that will be the 
swelling of women, but with the X. The reason of that is to include trans people, gender non-conforming people, and also the non-binary people who were often excluded um, in the conversation of womanhood, uh, but also to dis dispel misogynoir, because to, you know, to remove these people from conversations is misogynoir in itself. And of course, when self-identification is ignored, that's when oppression can, of course, take form and manifest. Now, of course, um, and one thing I do want to highlight is, of course, as we are celebrating 50 years of pride, we do need to honour the person, the woman that is Marsha P. Johnson that gave us the first brick at Stonewall as we celebrate um, this momentous um, uh, commemoration. So, and including that, I will be, Kalechi and I will be talking a lot about intersectionality and other amazing, uh, you know, words and things in regards to um, today's episode. Now, with intersectionality, this was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. Now, intersectionality essentially looks at the way that different systems of oppression work with one another and how that influences our perspective and understanding of the world around us. So, for instance, looking at race, gender, class, sexuality, and the like, how all of them interlink with each of our individual persons and how that influences us. Now, the reason why I say that is because before we begin today's episode, well, been in here for a while now, but before we begin today's episode, I want to preface that black women are not a monolith. Okay, so as Kletchi and I as black women are here through cultural synergies, through our identity, through shared black womanhood in some extent, we are both unique women. Therefore, we have our unique different um, aspects, identities, and, you know, of course, our own journeys into black womanhood. So I just wanted to preface that um, with that as well. Um, so carrying on, of course, a lot of this that we'll be speaking of is going to be prefaced on black feminism. Of course, with the acknowledgement, we have to acknowledge the women that have been here before us, such as Angela Davis, Kimberly Crenshaw, Patricia Hill Collins, uh, and Mickey Kendall as well. Now, with intersectional feminism, of course, we're looking at solidarity for all people, for marginalised communities, as white feminism does tend to exclude these people from conversations, which, of course, then endorses a white supremacist heteropatriarchy, which then enforces cultural and social norms. Now, again, with black feminism, another thing I want to highlight is that with black women and feminism, that the principle is the principle of empowerment to honour, acknowledge, support and advocate for one another, of course, to ensure that we are dispelling the impact of racism in itself. Now, to carry on with today's episode, I want to look at question number one. So, how I looked at answering this question was by conducting a survey um, over my uh, social media platforms. So, out of around over 300 people, 22 responded and asked three questions in relation to today's title. So, looking at the picture element of today's episode title, I asked, have you, as a black woman, felt forced to conform to societal expectations projected on you. So by that, I meant beauty standards, sexuality, and stereotypes. And finally, is this a regular occurrence? Now, Kalechi, I would like to grab your insight upon looking at the word board over here and what, what screams out to you. Well, the first thing we see is, the, um, what I see anyway, is hair stereotype jumps out at me, yeah. um, natural hair as well, um, inextricably linked, I guess, to black women. Yeah. And it's interesting that legislation literally has to be passed in yeah. order for black people to not be discriminated against um, at work. Yeah. You have to remind people through law to not be discriminatory yeah. to, uh, to black people because of their hair, specifically black women. Mm -hmm. And 
we see this happen often. Mm -hmm. I created a character, Sally in HR, who's yes. presented as a white woman, um, who's the head of HR um, at Plant Acon. And um, she sees herself as spearheading innovation in one of the first episodes to ever go viral that I created or the first skits to go viral that I created was um, Sally calling, um, calling up uh, Morenike mm. and saying, oh, um, your payslip couldn't be given to you because you keep changing your hair. And so wow. the accounts team can't find you. But wow. you're the only black person in the company. So yeah. why, why is it an issue that they can't find you because you keep changing yeah. your hairstyle? And we find that in numerous working environments, yeah. corporate environments especially, the narrative, the constant conversation yeah. that black women tend to find themselves having with their colleagues who are not black mm -hmm. is, oh, your hair's changed again. Yep. Your hair's changed again. Yeah. It, Hair is so politicized for black yep. people, specifically for black women, when we consider the beauty standards that we have to navigate. Yeah, um, and I dare to. <laughs> yeah, in, in a white supremacist society, it is difficult. And if you consider the fact that the reason that people have to assimilate and adhere to certain um, standards is literally due to survival. Yep. Because if you did not, you'd be ostracized from whichever group that yeah. is that you're trying to um, be a part of, whether it's yeah. for a working thing or just general um, interpersonal interactions. Yeah. You're likely to be ostracized from those groups. The moment that you're ostracized from those groups, you're more susceptible to danger. Yes. So in order for black women to not find themselves at the mercy of more danger than they're already um, yeah. kind of exposed to, they would tend to assimilate. But we are seeing that more and more people throughout history have said, actually, no, yeah. I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm yeah. going to have my hair how I want to have my yeah. hair. However, Respectful. this is going to impact this is going to impact whether you get a job or not. We yeah. know that. And we see so many jokes because when you're looking at society, when you're considering the ills of a society and maybe even its strengths, but in this particular mm -hmm. situation, we're looking at the ills of a society, you're mm -hmm. likely to know what it is by the jokes that people tell. So yeah. the fact that I know many black women who are, who say, oh, this is my interview here and hairstyle. Once yeah. I've got that, once I've got that job, they're going to see the real me. Yeah. And that is interesting that there is a dance that we've learned to do yep. over the centuries, over the past few decades, you know, as we've entered into corporate environments that is specific to noting the, um, you know, the prejudice that's already um, befallen you that yeah. you have to deal with yeah. and think of figuring out a way to use it in your favor, knowing that they're not going to give you that job if your hair's unlike, you know, if it's not straight, mm -hmm. bone straight, that sort of thing. So you do that, yeah. you get the job and then you let yourself show. But how much of yourself do you even let show in the workplace? Probably yeah. not very much. Yeah. It's, it's that element of having to, as you say, play a dance, but also having to think tactically, like about how you even, you know, navigate your identity in the workplace, how you assert yourself, how you communicate with your colleagues. And that's, yeah. that in itself is, you know, tying into microaggressions, tying it, tying into, you know, t coming out of social norms, coming out of social, um, you know, dominance that dictates the way that black women can, you know, uh, live their lives is, is completely shocking. And, you know, to carry on, on, on this word cloud, again, as you say, hair stereotype mm -hmm. jumps out significantly in this grid. And um, in fact, I do want to touch, we will touch on stereotypes mm -hmm. a little bit more actually, because black feminism, a bit of theory of my research comes out and it's it's again I'll explain a bit later in terms of the, the theme but it was really interesting to see how many recurrences and repeating of certain like buzzwords like stereotype popped out and again there's in in this there's there's like I said before there's a synergy that comes with black womanhood a couple of quotes I do want to look at in regards to this question here so one person said it's daily 
and I find it hard not to engage with it as a menopausal woman. An example is shaving my head. Family protested that women can't have a bald head, and I was in my early 20s. Great to see that it's not judged as much now. Now, another person said that I may actively work to conform to certain beauty standards at times, but may actively work to deviate from the black female stereotypes in work, as we just mentioned, um, or in new social situations. I think the way we respond to these pressures is out of survival. Now, a quote that really stood out to me was, but I never want to conform to these four standards because I have my own standard of beauty that I adhere by, which I think was quite powerful and actually segues really great into it, really well actually into, into the next part of the conversation. So as you've you know, identified, stereotype um, pops up um, quite a bit. I counted stereotypes in these serve out of 300 and something, 22 people responded. But stereotype in this question popped up five times. Mm -hmm. Hair popped up 11 times. So mm -hmm. half of our respondents said hair was a big thing in here. And finally, Eurocentric and beauty standard, as we see on the screen here, appeared three times. Now, again, I think it's best for us to talk about, you know, the societal expectations and the context behind that in terms of black womanhood, um, etc. cetera. Um, so in terms of, you know, the pervasive nature of racism, and of course, how that endorses, um, you know, the way that black women are seen and heard. Um, I've used a lot of U.S. black scholars. So those of us that know what we're talking about, I've used a few U.S. black um, scholars. However, the reason why I've done that is because I believe that, again, we can apply this into our social context as people that, you know, as black British feminists, as black British women. You can apply the consequences of racism across the diaspora, wherever you identify from, actually. Um, and I think, um, especially in regards to the person that responded in regards to menopause, I think um, I think it's a great way to to open that conversation was a large part of why I, I approached this type of methodology in using this. Tying into identity, of course, and how that is often overlooked in black women, now tying back into stereotypes. Now, Patricia Hill Collins um, talks about four different archetypes of, of uh, uh, black women and their stereotypes. One is the Jezebel, mm -hmm. and that is the hypersexualization of black women, which we see in fetishization um, and the like. You have the mule. So again, coming from slavery, the, the hardworking black woman that takes it on the chin and that doesn't complain. We have the mammy, so the domesticated black woman that comes from, again, black women having to mother um, the children of slave owners. And then finally, we have the black lady, which I thought was really interesting, the use of language of black lady, because again, talking into the way that black women are presented here, I just thought it was quite significant that to identify lady as a stereotype or as an archetype, a character of, of a being, to me, told me already that even us in this space, the fact that black women have to sit here and say, no, I am this, I am self-identifying was quite significant. Now the lady, the black lady, talks about the career woman, the strong black woman, for example, um, which is an extension of this. Now, a large part, and I hope, you know, interject here, a large part of identity as a black woman, I think, is in taking up space, in making yourself known, in making that noise you need to make, and maybe making people aware of who you are and what you do and the like. And of course, in self-discovery, in self-love, and being self-defined in who you are. Now, um, 
following on from that as well. Now, negative stereotypes, of course, reinforce the oppression of black women. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you had any particular experiences on your own that, you know, you can identify straight away as a way that you've been stereotyped, that you've been sexualized, fetishized at all? I mean, I'm, I can't speak for you, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Um it's constant. It's constant. The things that you notice and the things that maybe you don't notice so much. Um, the, I think maybe something that recently comes to mind, I was meant to do something as part of an initiative that was meant to be promoting black business mm. with a big brand that we all know, one of the largest, um, brands that we know in terms of tech and they were partnering and they said that oh you know we're gonna we're gonna do this and we want to support black people yeah. we want to support black yeah. people and they wanted to feature my pole dance studio oh, wow. and so they came through or they sent representatives through to come and take photos yeah and I had a, my big afro wig on at the time yeah and they were like just move around your space you know they were very aware that it was a pole dance studio so yeah. I posed by the pole nice. the tech the representative uh, from the tech company sent them a message straight back no you can't have that it's too sexual so I thought okay maybe people have their stigmas um about pole dance and they're yeah. not really um having the conversations about sexuality and sensuality that's their problem they said okay unfortunately we can't use poles in the shot even though it's a pole I dance to say, you, fine we won't use yeah. poles in a shot let's go to the other room yeah. and where i'll just do general dance bits yeah. and so i did a pose where my leg is just like flung in the air and i'm mm. looking joyful they sent another message back no it's still too sexual and at this point the black people who had been sent as their kind of quota ticking representatives say, yeah. um everyone started to get uncomfortable because they could suddenly realize that it had nothing to do with the yeah. pole, but everything to, to do, do with, with my you. black womanhood. They even asked that I change one of my outfits because the, it was again, too sexual. So I just asked them to go back to whoever was saying that mm -hmm. and tell them to shut the hell up. Good. Um, Good. And you know, that, campaign i don't engage with it i don't wow. i just don't engage with it whatsoever because um i think the term has run out but you know oftentimes you will find again with these tech people they'll be like oh we're just literally reposting something yeah. we've already done it's not a brand new campaign and they reached out after that and wow. said oh we're doing a round two would you want to be involved no. and i just didn't respond to the email found out that the person that was responding was a white man who kept saying, oh, that's too sexual, that's too sexual. Because you, in your mind, you've sexualized, yeah. um, you've hypersexualized black women, you fetishize black women. Yeah. Um, there is a reason that Ebony, um, you know, the Ebony category yeah. ranks so highly uh, yeah. on pornography sites and porn sites because of that reason. Yeah. Um, there's a reason that the uh, colonization of the continent of Africa was so, so aggressive because the land represented the woman. It represented yes. the black woman and there yeah. was a like this kind of bloodlust in trying yep. to dominate it. Yes. And that's never left um, white unconsciousness. Like no. people are so, so um, infatuated, obsessed, preoccupied yeah. with the mysticism that they see around black womanhood, yeah. that everybody's trying to emulate it in one way or another, but they will never attest to the fact that that is what they're doing yeah. while simultaneously mocking um, black women yeah. in the process. So when I think about that and I think about um, that previous campaign, the fact that everybody noticed straight away what was going on and everybody yeah. felt uncomfortable, I thought, well, there you go. There that go. goes to show that, and I will never, ever, ever work with them again based on wow. that whole, um, based on that whole thing, because you already live in a body 
that people are sexualizing for you without you even choosing yeah. the, the parameters within which you want to explore yourself and explore your body in, in whichever fashion. Yeah. So yeah, I think about that. The angry black woman is another narrative yeah. that is, that, you know, is, pushed a lot yes. and I think that that's really really interesting when we talk about I mean we're going to go to it uh, later on about how do we in terms of playback how do we claim all of this yeah. but touching on anger and claiming anger yeah. I think is something that we're going to go it's onto really later yeah. yeah we have to but yeah. the angry black woman stereotype is the one that I think that a lot of black women run from yes and that I, I think it's very unfortunate yeah in very. this society, like white supremacist heteropatriarchy did not dominate, did not gain this amount of power over centuries from being nice. Yep. In fact, it was violent. It was, it was violent. It was yeah. angry. Yeah. Yet everybody else who has been dominated, who, who has been oppressed, yeah. everybody's told to move far away from that narrative of anger. Yes. Everyone, when they want to talk about protesting, you know, yeah, you mentioned Marsha P. Johnson. Yes. We're having pride and we're, you know, pride celebrations and we're doing all of these things now. It was a riot. Yeah. It was a riot. Yeah. It was yeah. violent and yeah. it needed to be because nobody be. is going to hand you your liberation. They're just no. not. Yeah. So even that has been almost sanitized in a way it and played down and compressed into something else. And it's important to celebrate Notting Hill Carnival, the same thing. Yeah. It was about oppression. It was about people rioting against yes. oppression. Yes. And then now we have what we have. So it's great that we can celebrate certain things, but we can't forget the anger that led to no. those things being necessary yeah. in the first place. Um, or the anger that was used because of the, um, just the wild violence that people were already facing. So I think about those stereotypes and it is something I have to nav um, navigate. Yeah. It's something that, when we talk about Eurocentricity, we talk about the centering of white womanhood when yeah. we are talking about hair. I think that's also important. And a caveat that I also want to put in is that white women wear hair extensions. They wear hair extensions all of the time. Honestly. They don't blend the thing down. Not properly. The I'm hair tracks. will be here. I'm seeing tracks. Their natural hair will be here. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, yeah, they can get away with that. Yeah. And nobody has those conversations. They leave yeah. the, like, the end of it is just blunt. Like <laughs> I walk behind certain white women and I'm like, so you... You just, <laughs> you just went yeah, out and yeah. you, and you're just having no problems. Yeah. The color is not matching. Right. But the texture, we the texture we're, we're seeing two different, uh, two different realities Literally. are taking place on the scalp, <laughs> but fine. I say all of that to say they rarely get ridiculed for wearing hair extensions. Honestly. They, because the, the um, expectation is that they can grow hair and they can grow long yep. hair. M most times when you speak to quite a few white women, their hair can only go to a certain length. Yeah, yeah. Yet it is black women yeah. that the hair length, hair Honestly. texture is weaponized against. Honestly. Wearing hair extensions is weaponized against. Yeah. Why? Yeah, honestly. And the thing is, it's great that you touch upon that because um, Mickey Kendall, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but she says in regards to, um, you know, beauty standards that um, depending on who I'm talking to, my features are either revered to or reviled mm -hmm. against. And I mm -hmm. think that's really interesting. And when you mentioned, you know, white women in hair and, you know, oh, you're wearing a wig. I'm wearing a wig right now. You're wearing mm -hmm. a wig. Oh my gosh, how dare you? It's cultural appropriation. It's not cultural appropriation. Why is a messy bun from white woman brilliant? Why is a clean girl aesthetic, which is now actually being, I would say, colonized, mm -hmm. um, if I'm being very, very honest with you, um, you know, is a, a social dominant thing that is given to white women. But when black women want to take that on and 
let's say wear bonnets out i wear bonnets out every every now and then i it's love now, the resurgence of bonnets you? i love the I resurgence love of bonnets i, I what it. makes me so joyful right now is seeing young black boys yeah. they look like they're in their late teens sometimes early teens yeah. and they have these big black bonnets yeah. that they're all wearing around at the moment uh with their sliders and their socks and it just brings so much joy to my heart because while other people might perceive that and say that it's quote unquote yeah. ghetto i think that there is something about being comfortable in your body yeah. and living for comfort and and just doing that and people don't have to understand i need to protect my hair this yeah. weather this atmosphere it's hostile. Too toxic. Literally. It's too toxic. The pollutants, <laughs> it's not just in the souls of yep. the citizens. Yeah. I will wear my hair bonnet and no one's going to stop me. Yeah. I didn't wash my hair to now come outside and have it like infiltrated with bad vibes. No. I will wear my hair bonnet. And I just think that. Yeah. I think that that is great to see. But then we have black women. And it's interesting when you mentioned about the Yarka types and the black lady. Yeah. We have older black women. And I think they're the ones that I want to have like more conversations with in terms yes. of generational uh, conversations. Because yeah. sometimes the people who um, are very uh, kind of beholden, who yeah. enforce yeah. um, the oppression the most, the are, the people, women, yeah. are the people who are the most yeah. oppressed by it. Yeah. Women doing all of the work for sexism. Yes. Black people sometimes doing all of the work Honestly, for white supremacy yeah. um and i find that with older black women so i can i think about um what's her name monique i was just literally thinking when she made bonnet. that video and she was like my babies my babies y'all don't need to be wearing bonnets and track suits oh, and 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 all honestly. of these things all of these things through the airport my babies yeah. my, first of all i'm not your baby i'm not your child so don't infantilize yeah. me and i'm going to wear that hair bonnet because yeah. you're not the one that's going to come and gel up the hair yeah. when it's all all over the place yeah. after that flight they're recycling air in that airplane everything is dry yeah. my hair should join it <laughs> no because <laughs> i want to because i want to fulfill respectability yeah. politics Honestly. so you look at all of the ways that I, I think about the fact that prior to cutting my hair off around 2018 mm. i would always have a big afro wig yeah and so many people would tell me that i'm beautiful yeah. so many people it was the look it was a it was a vibe it fit into black yeah you know it, it, they loved it yeah and then i shaved my hair and it was like oh you, you, me of, you look different you remind me of grace jones we don't look anything alike i don't remind yeah. you of grace jones then i started growing my locks then it's like oh you remind me of Whoopi goldberg oh Arthur, so in your life you know three black women honestly including janet jackson and you've yeah. just you've run out the roster is yeah. done yeah can't i just look like me why honestly. why do i need to look like all of those people honestly. but i find that when i do events and they ask me to send my headshot my agent or my manager one of them will send over my headshot by the time yeah. i get to the event they've used the picture of me from way back where i've got the bigger hair and it's just no. like oh no because i just liked it there's just something about you there that's just really captivating wow. yeah the cap on my head that's yeah. covered in hair yeah that's that's what's captivating my don't God. change my things but yeah. every time every yeah. time you're basically reminded of of the beauty standards that people want you to fulfill 100%. as a black woman and it's your duty your responsibility yes. whether you want it to be or not to kind of say either push back or you know go with it yeah i completely agree um and even so in regards to whoopi goldberg as you mentioned that there's been so many times where, when i've had braids when i've had uh twists of all i used to wear different colors i used to wear like electric blue electric purple Ooh. red there are times i've been called whoopi goldberg and um, tracy one time, chapman did you get tracy chapman yes tracy chapman whoopi yeah. goldberg i got predator Whew. i got <laughs> wow 
Wow. No, no, no. Not you starring no. in Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I got Predator. Like that was a lot. That was a hard one to digest, actually. But I got through it. I, you know, I pushed through and yeah. had to say respectfully, "This is my hair, so you can either suck a dick yeah. or yeah. suck, a, <laughs> suck it, suck it." But um. Yeah, but even so, um, the things that you've shared as well, actually, it ties into misogynoir, which I want to really talk about because you can't talk about black women yeah. without mentioning misogynoir. Um, for those who don't know, misogynoir um, was a term coined by uh, Dr. Moya Bailey. You'll be hearing a lot about her today um, in 2008, which, again, essentially in, in simple terms, looks at the racism and sexist violence that black women specifically, and I stress, specifically face well um, don't forget misogyny blanc is now a term sorry yeah we're moving on we're gonna move, on. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna move on from that one misogyny blanc misogyny blanc she, they got online and they said that no that what white women are now experiencing by being asked to be accountable for certain violences uh it's now massage blanc if we want to do um noir. can we please ask why <laughs> white women feel the need to always take away from black sentiment please especially with black feminism the fact that you know going on to feminism during you know slavery the fact that white women when they in 19th century uh, feminism they dominated the feminist discourse mm -hmm. whilst ignoring the black women that were enslaved in the first place without taking contribution from them in the first place yet equating slavery to their conditions yes. which were privileged it does it's not clock it's not clicking it's not clocking it's not checking it's out hackable. so yeah. misogyny blanc misogyny, but, but you have misogyny you literally, that's my point. When we talk about um, like anthropological terms yeah. and we talk about um, etymology, um, etymology and things like that, and we look at um, etymolo um, etymological kind of um, evolutions, how words change, you literally have misogyny. Yes. That's why misogyny was over there. Don't now create misogyny blanc because what then happens to misogyny? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lack of, it's, it's a willful... Um, Lack of understanding. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I feel like it's 2022 now, you know, information is so easily accessed and shared. People can actually use sense mm. nowadays and they just choose to not use it. And it's really frustrating. Again, this conversation is frustrating <laughs> to hear that, you know, it was my first time hearing my soldier Blanc in the first time. So mm. anyways, we're going to move on from but that. But Moya Bailey, <laughs> who has sense... On Moya Bailey, we're going to focus on Moya yeah. Bailey. So again, uh, just to clarify for the space, we're going to take away misogyny blank, <laughs> cleanse the space from that. Uh, misogyny, again, uh, by Dr. Moya Bailey, coined in 2008, looks at, again, the violent and pervasive nature of racism and sexism as an intersect together against black women specifically. And again, um, one thing that Dr. Moya Bailey does uh, mention, and I do want to actually caveat here, is that, again, when we talk about misogynoir, we are also including trans and queer black women as yes. well in this space. Because, again, to, you know, uh, avoid them, to not appreciate them is, again, another form of It's another violence. It's yeah. Another violence and you them. think about the fact that trans women are killed at an exponential oh rate. But because of misogynoir, yeah. it's not, it's because of misogynoir, yeah. because of, you know, queer phobia and all of these things, like yeah. it's just not acknowledged it's not and it's it's really it's really scary just it's the sad. number of people honestly honestly but um 
yeah, carrying on from that, um, again, as we've already just discussed, misogynoir is an extension of a systemic issue. And with misogynoir, what happens a lot of the time, and we've actually touched on this already, is that when it comes to black women that face misogynoir, they are often blamed for the misogynoir that they face. Mm -hmm. And a really popular example I want to use is Megan Thee Stallion, mm. especially in regards to, especially in regards to when uh, Tory Lanez shot her. I want to reiterate for the people in the room, Tory Lanez shot Megan the Stallion. No ifs and buts, no DJ Cadamus. He shot her. When she expressed her trauma and the impact of her trauma, I'm sure you saw it on social media. It was an absolute windfall. You know what abuse. I love about I, I just love social media for the, and by love I mean loathe. Um, <laughs> social media for this ability yeah. of people to suddenly become whichever profession that they want to be that Honestly. week. So they watched um, Megan the Stallion talking with uh, Gail King, I believe. Yeah. And suddenly everybody became a behavioral scientist. Yeah. Suddenly it was like, oh no, because if you experienced true trauma, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't cry like that. Yeah. And you wouldn't do this and you wouldn't do that. What do you know? Yeah. What do you know there? Yeah, yeah. What have yeah. you brushed your teeth today? <laughs> what? what? You, there are so many things you have not done in your you life. Your but you, did you wash your legs? respectfully you did and all the things that you are required to do you have not done you have not washed your bum you have not all the <laughs> things that's required for yeah. you to take part in this society you yeah. have not done yeah but you are watching megan talking about her trauma her very real trauma that we can yeah. all a lot of black women can identify with yeah and all you're saying is oh well no you see because the tears didn't come out of both eyes yeah. so i'm not buying it or she's just not emotional enough for me but the thing is if she was more emotional than that you will then say that oh it's too much she's, taking, she's yeah. too emotional yeah. i can't listen to what she's saying i can't focus when people are you know speaking in that way so you can't win for losing no honestly it's and it's that element of selective empathy where when you look at a white woman the minute you see tears oh my god how can Lord. i help let me gather nations upon to to, to draw and and support you Liam Neeson another one um, in regards to um, he mentioned his friend he mentioned his friend time, yeah. his friend girlfriend um, got raped and then he he set out to um, to kill a black man any the, black man any black man and the conversation around that was well it's justified if it was no 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 that's not what we're going to talk about here that's what but if it was reversed and a black man were to say that you'd be on his neck on it if it was a black woman saying I was looking for any white man to kill you'd be jumping on her neck calling her a murderer yeah. in fact you would stop her by any means necessary to do that about something hypothetical because she would not have done it yeah she was hypothesizing yep. that I might do this or I would have done this thing yeah. and she would be like six floors underneath that jail <laughs> honestly but Liam Neeson could just tell the world that you know what this happened to my friend or however they were related yeah. um and you know what I wandered the streets he said I wandered yeah. so he he set the shocking. intention in motion I wandered the streets was it of Dublin or Belfast one yeah. of them he was like I was wandering them streets one of them streets in Ireland yeah. and I was looking for any black man to make pay for that to, to kill for yeah. what happened to her so that black man could have just been going about his business wandering through yeah. going to get a Guinness something just minding his black yeah. business and then you would have potentially killed him so thank God you didn't run into yeah. any black men that day because you actually went out of the house looking. to go and find someone you went to black, Lynch looking and, to and Lynch and you said at the very beginning of this conversation that black women are not a monolith but no. black people are not a monolith so yeah. why am I being made to pay for somebody else's yes. crime that I did not commit yeah. because the first thing a white person will say to you about racism or um, the transatlantic slave trade or colonialism is yeah. that well I 
didn't do it. Why is it? My ancestors why, did. My ancestors did, and I, I think it's shameful. But why am I being held to account yeah. for it? But Liam Neeson can say that somebody, yeah, um, sexually assaulted this woman, yeah, and anybody else could have paid yeah. for it because all black people are one. Yeah, and even so, like the 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 gall to say that, and I think I think it was a it's few years privilege. ago he said white privilege in, in manifestation, and the name that popped into my head was Ahmad Arbery. Yes, the map that. Um, the, the story of the black man that was jogging and um, there is footage of this. Please don't look it up. There's footage of this. Um, I forgot who they were, his murderers are, but they were Ex-police officers. They were ex-police officers. Yeah, yeah, a couple of them wow. were. Ex- and they were um, in the back of the truck. What? Yeah, so there was footage of him, yeah, chasing them, lynching him. Um, I believe it was this week that they were they sentenced yeah. um, to life imprisonment, yeah. actually, finally. Um, but again, to, to talk about that so freely when that already is a systemic problem already in regards to black lives um, and the violence that is exerted on them, again, we could digress. We mm. could digress. But to center the conversation back to misogynoir um, and how that plays out as, as an extension of, of trauma, of racism and sexism in itself, and back on, you know, behavioral therapists, if mm-hmm, you will. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another thing that I do want to highlight, actually, is that I think for me, the misogynistic gaze, um, the misogynoirist, is that a word? I use it. Yeah, I, misogynoirist. It sounds quite yeah. nice. The misogynoirist gaze, I think, quite baffles me because the assumption that women live their lives for the complete attention and adoration of men will will always like never cease to amaze me but that's how um a heteropatriarchal society a white supremacist specifically heteropatriarchal society functions yeah there needs to be the belief that everything that these people yeah. um are doing these groups of people that are that they're doing is for your benefit yeah. because if it's not then what is their purpose what is their function Why they for staying them? yeah and so we as women have actually um, performed that yes. again out of, of survival. Yeah. It was a survival technique yeah. to just go along with it, like, yeah, all of this is yeah. for you. But actually, when women dress up, when they do this, when they do that, most times they're doing it for other women because yeah. that's the only person that's going to understand, likely to understand, yes. what effort went into doing yeah. what you've, you know, the artifice that you've now created, they would understand what it is. Yeah. But you've got to kind of, yeah, it's for you. Sure. You don't have a clue yeah. what any of this is about, but Honestly. sure, if it means my survival, go for it. Honestly. And I think that, you know, it's something I experienced even with pole dance. Mm. I couldn't possibly be doing pole dancing because I actually enjoy it as an aerial discipline that yeah. helps me to build an incredible amount of strength. Yeah. No, I must be doing it because I want some man to be like, oh wow that is so sexy and so then when I have my son strapped to me and I'm doing it um, Mm. I'm going around the pole it's like how dare you have your son and you're doing that thing because you can't comfortably enjoy it now that a baby's in it but that's also reminding you that it was never for you in the first place yeah um but with Megan Thee Stallion I think that what people fail to again um appreciate like you said because of misogynoir is the fact that we have this thing where somebody assaults you or abuses you who is a part of your community in one way or another, your first instinct is to protect them because you know the violence waiting for them from the state. She said that. Exactly. She said that. But they didn't hear it. Yeah. They chose not to hear it. The fact that if she had called the police in that moment, because she didn't call the police, but if she'd called the police in that moment, he wouldn't, yeah. one of them would have been shot been first yeah. everybody in that situation everybody's going down yeah. so, but even if she survived a black man you said a black man had a gun okay because even when yeah. black men don't have guns they're still yeah. you know like they're they're murdered yeah, yeah. so yeah. i think about the fact that even with a bullet yeah splintered in her foot 
she still took the time as a lot of black women do to consider how this will affect the person yes. um, who's caused her this harm. Yeah. And that is a, a space that I want us to be liberated from. Yeah. I completely, completely agree. Um, and continuing the conversation of conversation of misogynoir, um, I think that I really want to touch briefly on actually is on um, colorism. And colorism is one thing that I think significantly affects black womanhood, especially in, you know, how we present ourselves, how we're, uh, how we nurture ourselves, how we present ourselves to, again, I guess, fulfill societal expectations of us, whatever. Um, but for those who don't know, Colorism is a practice of, practice of discrimination based on uh, skin tone um, in regards to black women, the black community. It can be applied to those who are um, Asian, minority ethnic. Um, but again, colorism is another form. Well, I would say is a, is a form of uh, white supremacy in the fact that it's reinforcing the fact that the lighter your skin tone is, the more privileged you have. Definitely. And therefore, the lighter your skin is, the more beautiful you are. Um, and a, a, a really good example that popped up into my mind was, um, I don't know if you saw or know the song Peng Black Girls by... Um, um, any and um there was a uh a, there was a session with georgia smith and uh, any they did like a joint session together um despite it being any song the comments that were coming in were wow georgia and georgia smith don't get me wrong georgia smith is a beautiful beautiful woman but the first was that i'm sorry sorry <laughs> no it's just a lie it's just a lie continue no sorry i'm i'm, I'm here <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, um, you know, carrying, <laughs> oh, carrying on from that, you know, the first comments that came in were not any's accomplishments. They were Georgia Smith's fear. Oh my God. Oh my God. This, that, and the other. And they completely discredited any, completely discredited. I, I don't even doubt the amount of hours, the energy, the time put into that piece of work, completely shocking and tying into that, you know, you know, I've seen in, in figures that I've grown up around, you know, bleaching as a form yeah. of trying to combat that level of uh, colorism and misogynoir. And for those who don't know, bleaching um, can actually hold significant health effects, you know, mm -hmm. such as liver failure, mercury poisoning. Um, and even so, um, you know, but then on the other hand, um, and we've mentioned this already mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, confidence around hair and 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 looking after ourselves, is there's, there's a new wave of reclaiming and undoing these body standards, you know, mm -hmm. the bonnet, for instance. And I think with that, that I guess shows us and tells us that with having that level of confidence and mm -hmm. support within that community, and again, that needs to be built. It's something that's going yeah. to take time. We can really start to, I guess, dishevel and, and break apart at this, this structure, this structure that's held us bound for so long, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, but that's what I want to sort of like tie in and, um, tying on to, I guess, continuing on from what we see on the board here. Because um, if we go back to what we're talking about colorism, I think yes. within colorism, we're dealing with texturism. We're also dealing with featureism. Yes. In that the more, the closer you look to um, what are considered Eurocentric um, yeah. features, your hair, maybe looser curls, yes. um, your skin, a lighter shade, yeah. your nose, your, you know, everything. Your lips. Your lips thinner, your nose thinner. All of these things are likely to mean that somebody would consider you beautiful. Yeah. And the further you are away from those things, the more likely it is that you'll not be considered um, yeah. beautiful. And beauty is a currency it in is. our society because the body is commodified. It is. And so 
if you do not have that um, currency, how do you navigate this society successfully and safely? Yeah. Because if you don't look beautiful as as society just, um, you know deems it, you're more susceptible to danger. You're more susceptible literally to abuse. Yes. You're more susceptible to harsher sentences yes. were you to commit a crime. Yes. You're more likely to be convicted of a crime yes. if you don't look like this. Yes. So there's when people talk about... Um, um, pretty privilege they talk about it and they dismiss it in such a way that um doesn't allow for people to understand that literally people are dying people yeah. are being killed they're not having accommodation yeah. they're experiencing homelessness they're yeah. not having um, good access to education yeah. simply because they don't look a particular way and what is that way they don't look as close as possible to what it is to be a white woman to whiteness, yeah. and so to me that is a problem and to, to clarify even on the georgia smith thing mm. i have no personal problem really with georgia smith mm. my problem mm. is mm. with a society that yeah. tells me that her talent surpasses other people's yeah. talent she's talented yes. let her have that yes. but it surpasses other people's yeah. talent yeah. purely because of how she looks and again yes. it's not really about her features it's about no. her color because there are darker women who have similar features yes. who are not revered in the same yes. way and so i i've said it on my podcast and i'll say it again i would like to see what the billboard charts all of these charts would yeah. look like if you could not see what that person looks yeah. like if yeah. you just had to base your taste yes. of music on simply what you hear yeah, yeah. and not what you're seeing. I'm sorry, half of the women, that's really generous, 95% of the women who are currently yeah. in the music industry would be gone. Yeah. Because I look at them and, you know, they say if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I tend to just not say anything yeah. at all. But the talent is lacking. Yeah. It is lacking. Mm -hmm. Yet they mm -hmm. are making, you know, money and they're everywhere. Yeah. People don't even want to go there, but I'm going to go there. Chicken shop date. Yeah, I don't yeah. know her personally. Again, I have no personal qualms with her, but I just think it's interesting that if we're talking about black womanhood, if yeah. we're talking about all of this, yeah. would I, as a black woman, be able to have a show in a chicken shop where I'm interviewing other black people about their music or like you know pop culture? Yes. No, because what would be what would what would that infer about Race stereotypes? Literally, chicken. Oh wow. Oh, that, of course again. you love chicken. Yeah. Of course you love yeah. that. But. That is to me the one, you know, one of the ways to consider and to explore white supremacist heteropatriarchy. Yes. That a blonde, slim, white woman yes. who gives us this um, mediocre, very yeah. uh, monosyllabic, monotone sort of delivery Persona. is allowed yeah. such praise and yeah. such access. It's the access that yeah. she has. If I wanted to interview similar men on my podcast, would I have access to them? Three different extra right. steps that you had to But take. it's because that is not her natural environment. Yeah. The exoticism of it is that it's not her natural yeah. environment yeah. to be in a chicken shop and to be in such close proximity to black men and her blondness and her whiteness yeah. makes it something that is therefore attractive, yes. that is therefore yes. um, something that they should chase. Yes. And of course, then the numbers then come up to support it so then they'll say no it's not because of how she yeah, looks yeah. it's because her show is popular yeah. how did her show become popular so everything becomes yeah. intertwined and everything i think is. that we talk about black womanhood we talk about the things that black women have yes. to navigate but they wouldn't have to navigate these things if literally the construct of white womanhood that some white women actually do have to get access to they don't yeah. naturally have it yeah. they have to get access to as well the construct of white womanhood means that everybody else has to operate around that, yes. even white women. Yeah. But it's e easier yeah. for them to deviate from that than yeah. it is for anybody else. Yeah, no, honestly, so, like poignant, just 
hitting all the notes there, hitting all the notes there. But I want to carry on this conversation and just sort of, um, sort of nearly, I guess, wrap this up a little mm. bit. And I want to talk about, um, in regards to picture, the picture of, of black women. Um, I want to talk about the adultification of black girls, of black women, in fact. Um, and a study that was done, it's called Girlhood Interrupted, um, conducted by Rebecca Epstein, Jamila Blake, and Talia Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. um, what they did was uh, they got 325 adults together and they essentially um, studied uh, the behavior of like, black girls and I guess uh, assessed how um, they perceived black girls. So in that um, reference from Mickey Kendall's, Mickey Kendall's book, Hood Feminism, mm -hmm. The study uh, showed that all 325 adults that participated in this study found that black girls of the same age in comparison to white girls, so they had black and white girls together. Um, yeah, black girls of the same age were perceived as older mm -hmm. than white girls. Additionally, they also um, uh, assessed that they uh, perceived black girls as uh, being uh, having a less of a need for nurturing, yeah. protection, support, which should be afforded to you regardless of your skin tone or identity, etc. Um, and finally, 72% of the adults of the 325 were white, of which 62% white women, which is actually quite ironic, um, 62% who are white women saw that black girls, uh, saw black girls as more sexually yes. aware and mature. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you have a lot to say about this. I have a lot to say about this part too, but I really want to touch on child Q. Mm -hmm. I want to touch on child Q. Um, for those who don't know, you should know by now, um, the story of child Q. Um, unfortunately, a 14 year old girl um, was taking her exams at school um, and her teachers uh, made the racist assumption because she was wearing locks um, that she smelled like cannabis. So what they did was they called the police over, um, but they didn't get a guardian. They didn't notify the parents of what was going on. What they did was they conducted a strip search on this young girl whilst she was menstruating. So she had to take off her undergarment and expose herself to adult officers, okay, in, in this context, which I think is absolutely shocking in this instance. Now, this caused a ripple across social media, um, uh, across social media, including in holding the institution that are the Metropolitan Police, but I will touch on them later in regards to how they treat black women. And um, more so, again, yeah, I just, you know what? I'm not going to carry on. I want to get your thoughts on this. What year did it happen? It was 2020. Interesting. 2020. During lockdown. Yeah. So in the midst of a pandemic, yeah. you had time for racism. Yeah. You had time for misogynoir. Yes. Against a 14-year-old girl, you had time. Yeah. People are dying, Kim. No, like literally, yeah, yeah. People, people were dying. dying and you had time yeah. to treat that girl in that way. And what's sad about it is that there are, from what I've been reading recently, there are at least... 50 other cases I was about to say extremely yeah. similar young black girls boys so, but the girls oh it's shocking and we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder she was it's there racism is trauma constant trauma that you cannot escape every day you leave your house you're trying to navigate how, how, you, what, how what level of trauma am I going to experience today and then what do I do with it yep. once the day is over yeah and it's not kind of, I guess it's just not talked about enough. 
No. But I think about the child Q situation and not even to make it extremely graphic, but I think it's important. She was sitting her exams. You removed her from the exams, yeah. took her into a room. The teacher, even if you didn't have like her guardian or whatever, where were the safeguarding things, um, yeah. the safeguarding framework that you were meant to use in that situation? Because yes. you didn't consider her no. to be a child. No. Right? And so she goes into the room. The teacher stays outside of the room. The two police officers ask her to take off her clothes and... um take off her undergarments, like including her sanitary pad Jesus. and then bend forward no. and cough. It's disgusting. If, if I put that much effort into allegedly holding this cannabis, which she had nothing yeah. whatsoever. If I put that much effort into, can I not have my cannabis? If I've gone to the ex extent of yeah. shoving it, why I might as well, do might you want well. it? What, what do you want it for? Yeah, yeah. But it's the fact that, Everything that they're doing actually surpasses logic. It, it does. It's not logical at all. It's, it was yeah. only ever meant to be violent. And the worst part of that for me, as somebody who's who's observing what happened, is the fact that they returned her to her exams. Oh. And I think that that kind of um, really kind of um, held in for me... Or, or held together for me the those sheer level of the violence yeah. that racism will do that yes. white supremacy specifically yes. will do that yes. you'll suffer an unimaginable trauma and yeah. they'll go now go back and operate yeah. within everybody else and then when you're not operating in the same way as they everybody else they'll blame you for that and it's what you said said earlier yeah. about being blamed for the oppression, for the violence that's inflicted upon you, yes. you're blamed for it. Yes. And so she then had to tell her mum what happened. And ever since then, from the, you know, the things that I've read and the documents that I've read, she's suffering extreme trauma yeah. from that and depression yeah. from the whole thing. And what people, I think somebody got fired here and there, but I don't, I, to this, me, firing is not enough. And yes, enough. I talk about abolishing prisons, but while the prisons are in existence, I need more people to get into them yeah. that are committing crimes such as these. Yes. But yeah, child Q is not a, a sole um, occurrence. No. And also I was speaking to Ebenita Iyere. She has yes. milk honeybees and she deals with, um, and she deals with, she works in close um, relationship with young black girls. Mm. And so they held a forum where they invited the police to come through yes. to their, um, their offices in Brixton. So these young black girls could tell them how they felt about the child Q situation. Wow. And you could see these uh, one black police officer so he's you know biracial police officer specifically um he was so uncomfortable wow. hearing these black girls speaking he was so so uncomfortable and they got on him and i'm and they got onto it and i was really really glad about that Good. but Ebenita was very specific in saying that it shouldn't just be um the child cue discussed in terms of adultification mm -hmm. because he said it's not so much that they are adultified in that they're not even humanized mm. and the, but everything to me personally mm. in my perspective mm. is mm. all linked mm. yeah it's, it's all, all linked. linked it's all linked and yeah when people are considering black girls to be older it's because they're not allowed to have the childhood yeah. that white children have yeah and that is why you would they will appear to you to be older 100%. because you already know that in your mind in your um, con consciousness or unconsciousness you're already denying them yes. everything that you would usually give to a white child a hundred percent a hundred and ten percent um you've literally carried you've yeah you've carried on every single point that i wanted to even raise here um 
And even so, um, I believe the concluding report that the Metropolitan Police issued themselves actually cited racism as yeah. a possible factor. It wasn't possible. It was. But even, <laughs> it if was. For, even for them to put it in that report, that's when you knew it was bad. Significant. Because they will dance around that every oh, single time. All the time. For the fact that they had to put it in, just lets you know how bad it was. The, how glaring the racism was that even they could not deny it and they had to put possibly. Yeah. Because yeah. usually they won't say anything. Honestly. But anyways, but carrying on, I do want to wish Child Q all the healing, yes. love, positivity, all her, her family. I hope that you're doing well. I hope you're doing okay. The Met Police, I'll come back for you in a minute. Yeah. Now, th this, again, tying on to the, the emotional distress that Child Q went through, and again, looking into, um, again, the board here in terms of, um, you know, how for standard less attention, the feelings that that can conjure. As a black woman, I want to talk very briefly, actually, about the emotional labor of being a black woman. So in that, what I mean by that is in understanding and navigating the social political context as it is, like you said, in understanding and having to deal with racism, you're having to, you wake up, you leave your house, you're having to think about, okay, what interaction may I have today? The way I present myself, what do I have to possibly prepare myself for? And I think in, in being a black woman and the trauma that can come alongside with it, whether that is healed or unhealed trauma, you know, the labor the emotional labor I feel anyways is in preserving yourself and preserving the space that you can to actually unpack that trauma, to deal with that trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and to of course move through that. And we've touched, we've both touched on this before, but the fact that black women, black children, black girls are seen as expected victims. The fact mm -hmm. that there is not enough action, unless we're jumping down people's throats, unless we're spamming comments, unless we're shouting on the rooftop, shouting in this room here, black women aren't given the same attention. Black yeah. women aren't given the same R. Kelly, capacity. Tim Westwood. Don't get, get me him. started. Grandpa, yeah, baby. I said your name. Mm, BBC. <laughs> BBC. Well. Anyways, um, so I kind of wanted to get, again, your thoughts on, again, the emotional labor and 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 understanding that and navigating that feeling and, and navigating how, again, looking at the picture that is presented of black women, how mm. that does play into how we're seen. I think that when we're having these conversations about the emotional labor, again, we have to remember that, I mean, I'm very big on the esoteric, I'm very big on the metaphysical, so that includes astrology, includes tarot, mm -hmm. it includes Yoruba, um, cosmology. Yes. Um, I'm very big on that. So I say that um, as a precursor because I feel like we're spirits, we're spiritual beings mm -hmm. in human bodies, right? Yes. In these bodies. That doesn't, just because we're these expansive divine spiritual beings doesn't um, take away from the fact that the bodies that we're in are have is we're having very, very real reactions mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. our environment. Mm -hmm. So I say that because the, if you consider stress and what stress does to your cortisol levels. Yes. And how they talk about cellular mutation and how you can... Um, pass on trauma mm -hmm. literally through your cells. Mm -hmm. And we think about colonialism, we think about the transatlantic slave trade, we think about the womb not of a black person, specifically in this situation, mm -hmm. because not all people who have wombs necessarily identify as yeah. women. And how that was colonized, um, villainized yes. and brutalized. Yes. All of these things happened yeah. and we carry that. And so it, yeah. to me, it is no surprise when we talk about fibroids, who gets affected by fibroids solely? What demographic? Black of, women. There we Black go. Black women. And therefore, research isn't, funding isn't put into research no. to find out why. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you see? So yeah. Yeah. on a, it seems like we're talking about one thing in terms of emotional labor, but I'm thinking about how the emotional labor yeah. impacts our physical bodies yeah. and then our cells change yeah. and uh, as a result of yeah. that. And that either carries on intergenerational, um, yeah. intergenerationally yes. or it's something that we're dealing with specifically. Yeah. And then so you're worrying about oh, high blood pressure, yes. all of these things. Yes. Um, us being overrepresented within the mental health um, institutions yes. and that's for a myriad reasons but yeah, let's just say that yeah, in this particular yeah, situation yeah, yeah. we're looking at the emotional labor yeah. we don't in our communities talk enough about depression we don't. um anxiety we don't. all of those things because it's like oh take it up with god yeah god told me to take it up with a therapist now what yeah you know and do we have access yeah because then we have to think about class yes do we have access health disparities to, the like yeah. access to all of these things yeah. do we have it yeah so emotional labor seems like it's one isolated thing but it's not as yeah. with everything everything is linked yeah. and so i you know for a, a, what i qualified as a personal trainer in what 2013 nice. and, Sort me out, please. <laughs> and <laughs> that feels like a lifetime ago now because I still use all of the knowledge and I can continue to gain knowledge all of the time. Yeah. But when I was looking at just the, cause you study a lot of like anatomy and physiology yes. and all of those things. And I looked at <clears throat> the black clients I had mm. in comparison to the non-black clients that I had, specifically the white clients that I had. Mm. And you just saw that there were so many different obstacles that a black client would have to navigate yeah. in order to just get the results that they might want similar results, but they're navigating it in a different way. Yeah. And because of the um, overwhelming whiteness of the wellness industry, because they don't want to call it fitness industry now, I call it wellness mm. industry. Because mm. of the overwhelming whiteness of it, Instead of identifying something and linking it to what it is, white supremacist, heteropatriarchy, mm -hmm. they'll say to you, no, yeah, no, you see, because black people, yeah, the thing with you is that you like palm oil. Yeah. So if you took palm oil out of your you food, then, yeah, then you wouldn't first, you want me to make the F.O.R.E. row with, <laughs> you, want me, you want me to make that yeah. spinach stew with olive oil. Yeah. Please. There are things that I use olive oil for because olive oil bangs, yeah. but it doesn't make sense yeah. in this situation. Yes. Um, but you know, they'll say things like that and then they'll tell you palm oil is bad for the environment. Go and talk to your corporations yes. and that are destroying the yes. rain, all of these forests. Yes. Go and talk to them because yes. it's not me and my little jar yeah. of palm oil. That's the problem. Yeah. It isn't. No. And these can be sustainably sourced. You need to take up your issues with the rampant violence that the corporations yeah. are causing, mm -hmm. but people don't have those nuanced conversations. So I bring that up when we're talking about, um, emotional labor because we, absorb so much i find it ludicrous that i can be on social media could be on twitter and one minute i've laughed at a tiktok literally the next time i scroll up i'm seeing a black person being yeah. killed yeah. no other no other community of people oh no other demographic of people are subjected to no, that it's i do not exactly and to me i think it's intentional of course we it talk is. about the fact that we do need to see these things to raise awareness but you need to ask yourself how the hell do we live in a society where you need to physically see you that death it happening for you to believe or that violence happening for you to believe it. I don't believe that you needed to see it. I believe that you wanted to see it because of the generations of like the way that your cells have mutated mm -hmm. to where you enjoy mm -hmm. seeing that. Mm -hmm. You like seeing the moment that life leaves a black person's Ugh. body. You like seeing the panic. You like to see no. the way that the pitch changes in their voice Ugh. as they become anxious and like traumatized from that yeah. situation. Because yeah. I couldn't yeah. watch that for anybody. No, I couldn't. Either. 
even George Floyd, like I could, the, the video is etched in my mind. No. That was reshared billions and billions of times. I had, I, I even had, uh, I was told of children that, I was told by children themselves that they'd seen George Floyd's last And moments. so then what happens to that generation of children going forward, like 20 yeah. years from now, when we check in on them, they had to see that on live TV. Have we seen white men being killed in that way? No. White women films. be, have, have we seen that? No. no. But the news um, stations, they all had it on. And yeah. then when they come back again to emotional labor, who then are the groups of people that had to hold space for everybody while they were processing that black, black women. People, yeah. And then they'll be like, oh no, black women will save us. You lot went and voted for Trump. 53% of you white women went and voted for Trump. Please. And then when the things blew up in your face, yeah. then it was like, oh no, black women will save us. So no. it's like, we will enact the violence that is within us that we've been socialized to do. Yes. And then when we see the very real yeah. implications, the very real consequences yeah. of what we've done, we will now take the emotional task yes. to the black women yes. and ask them to transmute that yes. for us for the rest of yeah. society. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Thank you for listening to part one of episode one, Black Women, Picture, Portrayal and Playback from To Be Confirmed. Please share, like, comment and subscribe and part two will be coming to you very, very soon at a date to be confirmed. <laughs>